It's my honor and privilege this morning to have with us uh, Bishop David White. As I told you, he is uh, all the way from the great state of California. He is not at all, I know he gets a lot of jokes around Kentucky about being from California, but he is not at all what you would expect for a Californian. Uh, he is comes from a very rural part of California, which he'll tell you about in just a moment. Uh, he's a good old country boy at heart. He loves the Lord. Uh, I appreciate his leadership on our State Youth and Discipleship Board. I appreciate his love for young people. appreciate his passion for the ministry uh, and being willing to, to answer the call and say, Yes, I'll go all the way across the United States to serve in the area where God's called me to serve. So we appreciate him being here this morning. Not only is he a great preacher and a, a great youth and discipleship director, uh, he pastored a church. He's a wonderful pastor in California. Uh, and also, uh, a fun fact about him is, for those of you that love sports, he's a very successful sports journalist. Uh, so he can throw sarcasm with the best of them. Amen? So if you would right now give a great big Freedom Point welcome to our state youth and discipleship director, Bishop David White. How's everyone doing today? All right, you're doing okay. Yeah, uh, I'm happy. It's, this is the 11 o'clock crowd. I'm, I'm now with my people. Yeah. Yeah, that 845 stuff, I don't know about that. That's a little tough. I don't always trust morning people. They'd be like, the early bird gets the worm. Well, and I get up at 11 and Sonny's barbecue's open by then. So you eat your worm, I'm going to get my brisket on. Amen. But I'm a lot more awake. They kind of got the sleepy version of me, but, you know, now I'm a little more pumped and awake. And I'll tell you what, what an incredible worship team you have and what incredible worship in this room. Give God praise. Amen. God is so good. And uh, got to meet a lot of you. Got to meet got to meet Donald in the back. He's the sound guy. If I talk about sparrows, he knows what it means. It's code for I need more monitor. Amen. So we got worked out our prayer language and all that. Uh, I am from California. I could tell you're impressed by the absolute lack of applause when he announced it. He, he, he made a second run on that. I'd be like, they ain't clapping. They watch Fox News. I ain't no one clapping for me. So uh, what we'll do is uh, take a minute to maybe you can get to know me a little bit and uh, maybe then maybe might decide what I have to say might be worth uh, listening to. As far as where I'm from, I'm, 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 you, maybe you came here thinking, oh boy, we got some surfer boy from, from, Cal from Los Angeles. I'm no surfer, you know, but I do let the waves of God's mercy wash over me in the morning. Bless God. Amen. So then maybe you think, oh, he must be one of them tree huggers from San Francisco. And I ain't no tree hugger, though. I wrap my arms around the cross of Calvary upon which my Savior died. I go old school too, bro. All right? I listen to Bill Monroe this morning just to get the Holy Ghost pumping in me, all right? I'm from a place outside of Fresno, California called Porterville. We can get the picture up. There's, there's the farmland that's behind my backyard up to the mountains. When you're from Fresno area in California, I want to let you know what they call us. All those people in L.A. and San Francisco, they call us Fresnex. They say we're from Fresnissippi. <laughs> so we're from a different place than maybe you thought I would be from. But uh, my mom came from Mexico when she was a baby, and she grew up on a ranch on a farm. My mother-in-law came from Mexico back in the day. and She uh, works for USDA today. Uh, where we grew up and my kids grow up. My kids, they're pretty modern. They don't think we country. But I have to remind them that where they grew up in Porterville. If you go half a block, there's an orange orchard there. If you hang a right, there's a hay field there. If you hang a left, there's almonds there. And you go past the almonds, and there's a, there's a goat farm there. 
So when you can't go to Walmart without passing almonds, oranges, hay, and goats, sister, we as country as a Cracker Barrel, cracker barrel biscuit is ever going to be. Amen. But I am Californian. I'm going to say, bruh, if I call you dude, it doesn't mean I'm a surfer. That's actually what we call ranchers. So try to keep up. We'll have a test later on. Amen. And I did used to pastor. I pastored this church that you see. It's an amazing church. And your worship reminds me of the church I pastored for 11 years. And that's a good thing. And uh, we were there for 11 years. We had a second church about 10 miles away in a small migrant community called Poplar. We had a bilingual Spanish church there. Because even though my name is David White, I'm actually half Mexican. And so I'm a little bilingual. So I can tell you why you're going to heaven or not going to heaven in two languages. Amen. Not including my prayer tongue. So praise the Lord. I was a sports writer as well. Uh, I used to be on TV back in the day and ESPN and, and uh, NFL Network. I covered the NFL. And I'll tell you what, the day came in 2010 and God called me to pastor. And everybody thought I gave up so much. In fact, the state overseer, the one over the Church of God of the area, he actually told me this, Pastor. He said, David, this is either God telling you to leave the newspaper business to be a pastor or you're the stupidest man in America. And I looked at him and I said, brother, it could be both. Amen. <laughs> I can be stupid, but this is God. And God called us to pastor. And he's called my family to move to Kentucky this past August when my, my daughter Elise became a senior. My son Ethan became a freshman. The other David became a sophomore. But we are here because God's called us to be here. Let me show you a picture of my beautiful wife. There she is right next to me. And we're at the park. And having fun, and David's in the, in the white shirt there in the middle, but my wife is very special to me. My wife, as I talk about youth camp for just a moment, because I want to get in the Word of God, my wife got saved at the Traver Church of God. It's a town of about 600 people, not even 90 houses in that little community, so I know small town too. That's why I grew up, and she walked into the Church of God with her mom. She gave her heart to Jesus when she was 12 years old. And as a 17-year-old at a Church of God summer camp, God called her to ministry. And she became a youth pastor while she was still in high school. And I met her at Fresno State University. That's not like Stanford or UCLA. They called us felony state back then. But I went to Spanish class because that's an easy A when you already speak Spanish. And I saw Maria Luna sitting in the back row. And I know her because she's from the town over from me. And she was the homecoming queen, and she was a runner-up for the Raisin Queen because that's a thing in California where I'm from. I want to be the queen of raisins. Wow, good for you, babe. But I went and sat by her, and I turned and I talked to her, and I asked her if she would go on a date with me. And she said, I don't date boys who don't go to church. And I grew up Catholic. I go to church to see the girls anyway all my life. So I went to church with her, and I walked in the doors. It was April 1st of the year 1995, April Fool's Day, amen. And John Clyde Anderson, he's a Choctaw Indian from Oklahoma, he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I gave my heart to Jesus that day because she insisted, all our teenage girls in the house, I know mom and dad, we say, you got to date a Christian boy. I don't even say you got to date a Christian boy, but I tell my daughter, you're going to chase, he's called the boy at my house. 
there is a boy now. I said, I know he ain't a Christian boy, but if you're going to date him, your mission and your calling is to help him find Jesus. Amen. Because I wasn't a Christian, but my wife dated me, but she didn't get serious till I got saved. So I owe so much to my wife, and I love her, and I can't wait to see her when we get to Atlanta, and we're going to go on to Hilton Head, and we're going to have our first vacation since we got here in August, and I look forward to doing nothing. Amen. So let's talk about camp, because that's what she got called. Camp is coming back the 4th of July. It's teen week. I know we got some kids here that's going to camp. If you're undecided, let me help you decide you want to be there, kids. We're gonna we're fixing the zip line. We're doing the pull-up. We fix the bathhouses. We have all these wonderful things. We're buying Ale 8 because I guess everybody likes to drink Ale 8. But let me tell you, parents, what it's really going to be about. Camp, for me, is essential for my teenage children. It isn't for the Ale 8. It isn't for the Gaga Pit. We want our kids, and it's designed they're going to have a life-changing encounter through the power of the Holy Spirit in every worship service. We're not there to have a show. We're there to have an encounter. Our speakers have been told, I don't want something watered down. I don't want something basic. I want you to equip this generation with the Word of God because it has the power to save. And then we're going to help them through our activities. Instead of doing all the sports stuff and all the craft stuff, and we'll have some of that too. But our activities are designed to identifying callings and gifts that this generation has that maybe doesn't fit the traditional square pegs that we grew up with. Maybe they aren't going to be a Sunday school teacher, or maybe they won't be a sound guy, or maybe they might not have a spot on the worship team. Maybe they'll be like one of my kids who's into videography and video editing and us realizing when COVID came, you know what, I need that a whole lot more than I need an usher right now. And we're going to help them identify what they're passionate about. Because if we as a church, as you are already doing here, if we can utilize this generation, help them identify the gifts and calling of God on their life and find a place for them to have that in the church. If we don't, I promise you this, when they turn 18 and they grade out, the world has a spot for them. The world's going to use them, and they're going to pay them way better than our budget could pay them. And that's how we lost a generation. And I'm here to come alongside you to make sure that the Generation Z doesn't go the way of so many millennials went when we lost an entire generation. You have a seat at the table. You have a voice at the table. And I want to speak to not just the youth today, but I need you to hear me out, yo, because I got a word for you, okay? And it isn't a youth message. This is a message for the church, and you are the church of now. This the church of tomorrow stuff is baloney. I can't wait till tomorrow because you probably won't be here by then. You are a part of us here and now, and we need you just as much as you need us. So I want to talk today on Pentecostal Sunday about why God has put you in this room in a Pentecostal church. I want to talk about what it even means to be Pentecostal and why it is so essential. Because we are Pentecostal, amen? Okay, the rest are Presbyterians. Are we Pentecostal? Okay, there's only two kinds of people in this room right now. You either Pentecostal or you about to be, amen, because we're going to work on this. All right? Oh, I don't like to shout. Well, God ain't deaf, but he ain't nervous. You can shout. It's all right. 
But what makes, when we say we're Pentecostal, this is one of our, it's distinct, it makes us distinct. It's the DNA that God has given us. I have many great Baptist friends. They're incredible men and women of God. But God made me a Pentecostal because I want the fullness of what God has promised his church. I want to walk in the move and the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I love your worship that the Holy Spirit moves so much in here that people are willing to come forward and worship and in prayer without having to be instructed to do so. See, we think Pentecost sometimes is just a bunch of shouting and a bunch of yelling. I've told all my pastorate, the move of the Holy Spirit is simply yielding to the move of God. And sometimes I'm going to shout because God just healed a friend of mine who had cancer, and now they're in remission. There's other times, it's Pentecost in this room, when you could hear a pin drop. It's so thick and heavy that all I could do is have tears fall down my face. That's Pentecostal too. It's letting the Holy Spirit move among us. The Holy Spirit is not crazy, my friends. Now, we get a little crazy sometimes, but God's working on us. Amen? The, pen, the power of God is not crazy. It is designed to give us promise, to give us power, and to give us purpose. Amen? So we got to help this generation, the Acts 19 generation, that is the church of Ephesus, that when Paul met them, coming from a Pentecostal church that was only Pentecostal back then. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they said, we have not so much as heard of the Holy Spirit. Got to talk to the parents and grandparents for a moment. We have a generation of kids growing up in our churches. I thought it was just a California thing because we, woo, we crazy like that. You know what I'm saying? But I've been to Kentucky. I've been all the way to the west side in Madisonville. I've been up north to Florence. I've been down here south in Corbin. I've been way east in Wortland. I got to Harlan, and I don't care what Patty Loveless says, I got out alive. Bless God, and I'm here to tell you. That we have a generation of kids growing up in Pentecostal churches who don't even know yet or grasp or understand what the point of Pentecost is in the first place. It gets so easy to just kind of come through and get on out without receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want churches, and this is one of those churches, it's already happening, where if a kid gets out of youth group without the Holy Ghost, it's because they ran as fast, as hard as they could from what God was doing. But let's make them have to work for it, amen? Let's make them have to earn it, because this promise wasn't just for you, grandparents, and it wasn't just for me and my wife. The Word of God says, in the last days I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. This is for my daughter Elise. This is for Ethan. This is for David, wherever Atlanta is. I'll find it on the GPS later. But it isn't just for the young generation, because it said your young men will have visions, and your aged men would have dreams, which tells me as I get older, it's still for me too. There's still place in the church for me too. When I look around this room, this is what it's going to be like in heaven. We got a multi-generational. We got grandparents, parents, and children in this room. This is the kingdom of God, and the promise is for every one of us in this room, so I need to get after this message. Woo! Praise the Lord. I'm way more awake than I was earlier. Amen. Woohoo! All right, we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 5. As we read today's sermon, it's titled, From Pent Up to Pentecost. From being pent up and powerless to being set free in the power of God. Chapter 1 of the book of Acts, verse 4. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, in being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, 
which said, you have heard from me. He commanded them, you don't go anywhere until you receive the promise. Everyone say promise. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, you shall receive power. Everyone say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And now we go to Acts chapter 2. After they've been praying, they had a little election, did some politicking in General Assembly here or something like that. And now we're ready for the Holy Ghost to change this world. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Not just some were filled with the Holy Ghost. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So why do we need to know this? Because there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So Lord, as we come to this room today, that everyone in this room in their language, Lord, and the way they think, the way they process, Lord, the way they understand, Lord. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. Lord, let us see the value and how essential the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Let us grasp and understand, oh Lord, why it is so important, why it is so necessary. And we either need to be filled Lord, we who, when we've gone dry, need to be refilled with this Holy Spirit fire. Lord, send the fire just now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Everybody go and have a seat. Woo, praise the Lord. I'm fired up. I got to get going here. All right, because I'm getting hungry. When I get hungry, I get hangry. Amen. <laughs> Promise of the Father is the first thing I want to talk about. Now, I come with this from a very different perspective than maybe a traditional church person who, who grew up in church or grew up in a Pentecostal church in particular. Yeah, I grew up as a Roman Catholic. My, I was as Catholic as it could be. My mom met my dad when my dad was studying to be a priest. He decided to marry her instead. And when I was born, they named me after the priest who baptized me. And, and I was an altar boy. I did confirmation. I did first communion. I did first confession. I did last confession. I did everything you could do. But growing up in church and all the education they had, I never once learned or heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I didn't know is I remember as a young child getting a really bad fever. I would get fevers all the time. I was a very sickly kid, and my mother would pray for me. My mom's just this little, she's a little five-foot-nothing, little Mexican-American who loved to pray, and she would pray for me, and she would pray in a language that I didn't understand. But being Catholic, I thought my mom was praying in Latin because we were so Catholic, we'd go to Latin services so we could not understand what's 
going on? And I thought my mom was praying in Latin, and it wasn't until later in life when I got saved and I talked to my mom about it. She told me as that she got received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a Roman Catholic woman at a Billy Graham convention. Because if Catholic puts Baptist equals Pentecost, because God can do anything with anybody and for anybody who would seek him. And it was a valuable lesson for me in my early walk with Jesus. Because when I got saved, I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was about. I didn't know who he was. All I know is I pulled up at the age of 21. As I mentioned, my wife invited me to church. And I remember the day like it was 28 long years ago. Whatever it is. Amen. I'm getting old now. And I pulled up at a Geo Prism. Do you remember those cars? Yeah, that's a classic. Don't bring those back. Never, right? At a Geo Prism hatchback, and I had just turned 21, so woo, we're going to get cool and party and all this stuff. I bought a Pioneer system. All the guys, you remember the Pioneer systems back in the day when they weren't standard? So I'm bumping my way to the Traver Church of God. I'm cruising down the street in my 6'4". You know what I'm talking about? Boop, boop. And I pull up, and I got my pants a little saggy, you know what I mean? And I'm looking a little sideways because I was what they call a cholo back then. That's a Mexican gangster. At least I pretended I was. So I walk in. I'm squinting. I'm like, sup, sup. I think I'm bad. I'm thinking I'm hard. And I get in this service, and they start their song service, and they go straight to page 235 of the Red Book. He set me free. And I'll tell you, that was hardness that I had, that little sideways look I had, starts melting away. And God starts working in my heart. And next thing I know, Sister Simmons is hopping down the aisle on one leg with a heel on. And she got this Mars Simpson beehive thing going on with a bobby pin, and it ain't coming out. And I'm watching. I'm like, she's going to die. She's going to die. She didn't die. And I remember my wife's looking at me, as I said this morning, the way you look at your friends when you bring them to a Pentecostal church. So you didn't even bring them today. Oh, it's Pentecost Sunday. We'll freak them out. <laughs> we'll bring them back next week maybe. Amen. Oh, don't get crazy. Oh, I just hope Sister Simmons acts normal this week. Can she be normal for one week, Lord, so we can get my friends saved, and then we can work on the Pentecost stuff, right? And my wife's looking looking at me like Stanley, oh no, is he going to freak out? And all I'm thinking is, I want that. That woman has a joy that I don't understand. I came in here depressed. I came in here with self-loathing. I came in here with hatred. And after a lifetime of abuse, both physical and mental, from my childhood into adulthood, and all I know is this lady right here, she's got something, and I want that. But I didn't think it was for me. I thought the, this is the, the Holy Spirit baptism. Well, this is for the Sister Simmonses of the world. She's holy. She got a big old dress to her ankles. And you can't even see it. You know, she might show you a little wrist on a good day. You can't see nothing because she just Covered up like she apostolic and everything else. And I'm asked for the Sister Simmons of the world. That's for the Brother Andersons of the world. But God showed me what he said when Peter stood up in Acts 2. He said, this is what Joel prophesied, that in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon the good church folk. It's not what he said. Or how about those who have their degrees in theological education? That's not what he said. He said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. This is the promise that Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 to his followers in his church. So maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's for them though. They're the best of the best. They're the top of the class. Well, let me tell you who he gave the baptism of the Holy Spirit to in Acts chapter 2. You got 10 disciples in the room and not even 40, 52 days before that, not even two months earlier, what are they doing? Well, at his last supper, they're all fighting over who's the man. Oh, I'm better than you. Oh, I'm better than you. And then he takes his three best guys, and they're falling asleep because they can't even pray for one lousy 
hour, which tells me I'd be a great apostle some days. Amen. Yeah, I'm really good at falling asleep, too. I, got, I can do this. And then they say, you know, they come to get Jesus. They got pitchforks and torches. And what do these ten best of the best guys do? They all make a run for it. They're all bailing on Jesus. But then Peter gets his nerve, and he follows him over. And what's he do? He denies Jesus one time, two times. Three times, and then he starts cussing about it on top of that. And then you got one guy, John the Beloved, who gets to go to Jesus by the cross, and he's such a great guy that we know he's called John the Beloved because he's the one who said he was. So humility was really a thing for my friend John, amen. All this tells me this collection of people who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit were guys who in the last 50 days, oh, did I mention Peter stabbed a guy? In front of Jesus? Number one, don't stab people. Number two, if you're going to do it, don't do it in front of Jesus. He's watching. That's bad. But the promise of the Spirit was given to stabbers, deniers, sleepers, abandoners, arguers. And Jesus looks at them. Almost like I look at my kids someday and just like, well, I guess I can work with this. I love my kids. Jesus didn't send the promise of the Holy Spirit to the best of the best. But if you're the best of the best, he ain't going to leave you out. It's for you too. But this wasn't just for Paul and not the people at Ephesus who didn't even know what he was talking about. Jesus has given this promise not to those who are good and powerful, but he gave it to those of us who are weak and powerless. He doesn't wait for us to get good. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit so I can be better than I am right now. He doesn't wait for me to have my life figured out. God baptized with the Holy Spirit just two months after I got saved, and I still hadn't figured nothing out. I hadn't even read the Bible yet, but he poured out a spirit on me because he knew to do what he's called me to do, I need the Holy Spirit now. And if I don't have the Holy Spirit in my life, how am I ever going to get to where he wants me to be? So the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Spirit is for every teenager in this room. It's not for when you grow up because he baptized my wife when she was just a teenager. I've seen teenagers at youth camps get baptized in the Holy Spirit. My daughter, when she was a 10-year-old, drag along at Winterfest. Forced to be there by her dad, who's the youth director. She received the power of the Holy Spirit in an altar call with her best friend, Lily. Because God's promise isn't for the grown-ups. It isn't for the educated. It isn't for the titled. It is for all flesh, whoever would dare say, Lord, here I am. Fill me. This promise is yours. Oh, praise the Lord. Yeah, but why? Why? Why do I need it? Why do I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I don't know if I want to run aisles and I don't want to shout. And I don't want to have a beehive hairdo. Is that part of the rules? I don't know. I don't like that. The promise of this Holy Spirit, the whole idea of this is to get as much God in you as you can have. See, I want all the God I can get in me because this world's tough. You, raise your hand if you're in high school. Anyone in high school, raise your hand. All right, anybody a junior? Any juniors? Best two years of my life, junior year. All right, so they're going through some stuff. I don't know if you know this, but COVID just kicked them in the thorax like you've never been kicked. They're living in a social media world. It's just mean out there. It's just cruel out there. You're exposed to insult in ways that nobody would dare say to your face. 
we're exposed to vileness. We used to have to go down to the corner store and go to the back room to find that vileness and hope they don't tell your mom because it's a small town, amen? They're exposed to everything Satan has, even just with the flip of a phone. This generation needs the power of God a whole lot more than they need a, a how-to manual or a mental health manual. You see, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I find restoration to my mental health. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I find healing in my brokenness. We've got to stop trying to give all these medications and all these solutions to what is ailing a generation and get back to Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, who is a healer, who is a deliverer. And I praise God for the other aspects. Celebrate recovery. It's a great thing to do once you've been delivered. But I'm here to tell you, the Holy Ghost power has the power to bring that deliverance. And that's part of the journey to help you stay delivered. But we got to get away from always trying to find solutions to problems instead of just letting God solve the problem through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he has promised it to you personally. See, we also think, well, that's just for the crazies. That's just for the ones who are really sold out to God. But Jesus, when he, this is so important to his church. He's the one who built it. He's the one who made the rules. He's the one who told them at the beginning I have a promise from the Father for you. Remember when I read that? But before he said the promise, he says, I have commanded you. Now, I don't use that word on my kids very often. But when I do, I mean business, don't I, kids? If I get home and something didn't get done, I say, I commanded you to. I am the Darth Vader of this house. You have to listen to me. A command. Jesus says, I've commanded you. This is so essential, so important that I don't want you to go evangelize. I don't want you to tell your friends about me. I don't want you to plan a church. I don't want you to go on a world missions trip. I don't want you to do anything until you receive the promise. Because it is that important to Jesus, and it breaks my heart that the Pentecostal movement has become a fringe element of Christianity. We're the crazy uncle at the family meetings and the dinners, amen. We are now the exception to the rule. When the church began, they were the, we were the rule. And these guys at Ephesus, they're like, what's wrong with you, bruh? Didn't nobody tell you about this? Did you not get the email? Maybe we didn't get the memo. We'll send it to you again. This is essential that we receive the promise of God. Because to abandon the promise that God has for you to our young people and to our age alike, it's like what I'm dealing with at home right now. I shouldn't bring it up because now my kids are going to really start wondering what's going on. Because you don't know the story yet, babe, but the morning people do. And you might have talked to them. But when they was born, my father-in-law bought them promissory notes. I think it was a $500 note, a treasure note, whatever you call these things. And he, they can't cash it till they're 18. So right now it's probably worth over a grand. I don't know. Whatever it is, there's a problem now. Mom, don't, mom, I'm blaming mom. She's not here to defend herself. Praise the Lord. Mom can't find where she put them when we move. So you got a thousand bucks at least. July 31 are coming. It's just high. it's out there in the in the void. Now I'm seeing the look on her face. See, I didn't get that this morning. She is already determined. I will find this bond. I will burn down the campground looking for the bond. I will go back to California to where we used to live. I will kick the door in. I will tell the new pastor there to get out of my way. Because she's got a promise. You think my daughter, my little broke little girl here, 
got no job. She thinks she's rich because I have money. I'm like, we ain't rich. I might be rich. You ain't rich. You broke. Do you think she's going to let that $1,000 promise? Eh, oh, well. She wants it because it's got her name on it. Oh, to my friends here today, we just somewhere decided, well, I don't even need it. I can get by without it. We've got to value what God has for us and the promise of the Holy Spirit the way my daughter right now is drooling over this thousand-plus-dollar promissory note. we got to decide, this is what Jesus promised me. Is this the last thing he had to say before he ascended into heaven? Is don't you go anywhere until you receive the promise? Then, my friends, it's time that we decide, I want that promise. And I'm going to look for it. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to praise him for it. I'm going to seek it until I find it. Because if he promised it to me, Jesus isn't a cruel taskmaster who's going to make a promise to you and go psych at the end like I sometimes do to my kids to have fun. Jesus made a promise. He keeps his word. The promise is yours. The promise has value. But we've got to get back where we value the promise of God in our lives. It doesn't what, it's not what makes us better than other churches, but it gives us access to the better of God. And I need all the better I can get. And when I say the promise of the Holy Spirit, I know we talk so much about tongues and interpret things like that because that's what happened the first day. But can I tell you, there's so much more to the baptism of the Holy Spirit than speaking in tongues. And if maybe they're not interested, this generation, in Pentecost, maybe if all they see are people speaking languages they don't understand, Maybe that's just not something they see value in because we're only showing them one-ninth of its value. Because with the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it comes with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Miracles, healings, words of, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discernment, all these things. I want miracles in my life. Jesus has promised me miracles, but they come through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you right now, if we got a blind man in this room, he walk up right now, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, I open up his eyes. We're going to shout in this room, amen? We're going to get Pentecostal because Pentecostal isn't just shouting. What Pentecost is, is seeing God do the miraculous, and now we've got something to shout about. So if we don't think we shout like we did back in the day, maybe it's because we're not seeing what we saw back in the day, and we've got to start chasing those things, the miracles and the works of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll let the shout come thereafter because that's what the Holy Spirit is about. Somewhere, I think it generally, I can only speak for our movement, I think it got lost in all the shout. We decided church was good if we shouted loud enough or we sang loud enough or we got happy enough. I can't be happy. We had an Easter Sunday. I remember, Pastor, it was the first time our church of 75, we broke 200 for the first time. And our church was so happy. My leaders were happy. It took four years. Everybody, praise God, Pastor, will finally shut up about this. And I gave an altar call. 0.0 people gave their heart to Jesus that day. I was depressed for a month. Everyone was so proud of how many people came to church on a Sunday. And they were so proud of how great our worship team stood and worshiped. And I'm sitting here depressed because nobody's getting saved. And we're fine with that because we're having fun. We're having a good time. I'm speaking in tongues. promise of the Holy Spirit is not designed for us to just enjoy it. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for our deployment 
as General Overseer Tim Hill said, which brings us to the second point. Why did he promise us the promise of the Father? It's because we need the power of Christ. Everyone say the power of Christ. He said, what's this power about? Because he said, he said to wait. Wait until you receive the promise. And he says, and you will be endued with power. Now, I love power. I don't have a lot of it, but he mentioned I was a sports writer. When you're a sports writer, I had power because I had 120,000 readers on Sunday, and I went to the Chronicle. I got half a million people reading me, and I had the power to make your team look really good or I make them look really bad. I'm the guy who once wrote, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug, and we all know what side Fresno State sat on as we wiped them off the screen. So I wasn't always nice because I wasn't fully saved back then. But I'm telling you, I enjoyed sometimes having power to make someone's day. I got a phone call one time. It was Al Davis. Do you guys know who he is? He used to be the owner of the Oakland Raiders, and he's telling me off because of something I wrote, and I hung up, and all I thought was, oh, I'm so sorry, David. Oh, he yelled at you. I said, what are you talking about? I made my day. I made Al Davis mad. That means he read my story. Wow, Al Davis read my story. You see, the carnal side of me enjoyed having that kind of power. The disciples loved having that kind of power. That's why they would argue over who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They wanted to have power over people. God didn't give us this power to lord over others. Husbands, God's not given us power to lord over our wives. Parents, he's not given us this power to be cruel taskmasters over our children. My kids are not just my remote control go-getters, though they do a fine job at that and they get food in return. We are called to use this power to not lord over people, but this power is designed for us to take the fight to the enemy of our soul, who is Satan. Your boss is not your enemy. Your in-laws are not your enemy. Yo, well, they're lost and they're mean. Well, so was my dad back in the day. I thought he was my enemy, and I wanted to use power against him, but he wasn't the enemy. He was blinded by Satan, just like I was, just like everyone in this room was back in the day. He gave me the power to stop hating my dad and the power to start praying for my dad. He gave me the power to stop ignoring him and the power to start caring for him and forgiving him and loving him until I was able to lead him to Jesus when he was 64 years old and watch him become a preacher of the gospel the last nine years of his life because I stopped trying to use my power to bring judgment on him. And I actually prayed that one time. God, I just pray you kill him so he stopped hurting my mom. And God changed my heart. And he gave me power, not over my dad, but power over the enemy that held him in bondage, just like he held me in bondage. That when my dad hit the bottom, God sent me to set him free through the name of Jesus. So when we want this Pentecostal power to just show off how mighty we are, or how holy we are, or go stick it to the bad guys. I'm here to tell you we've got to take our focus off the people around us who give us a bad time and we need to put that focus on the enemy and realize he's the problem but I got a revolver. It's the word of God and he's the problem solver. We got to get where we go from living a life of being defensive and powerless 
See, it's really hard to land a clean shot on an enemy if you find your back heels and you're hidden up in a corner. See, the church, we get too defensive sometimes, and we just want to live a life that the enemy just leaves us alone. And I'm telling you, live a powerless life. He'll leave you alone. He'll let you be. He's got us right where he wants us when we don't walk in the power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we're held up in a corner at church just having a good time, and we ain't hurting nobody. But we have an enemy that I'm not going to sit here and ignore anymore because he sure ain't ignoring me, and he's not ignoring my family. He's got them where he wants them, and I've got to use this power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ to go to them to declare the goodness of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God. There are teenagers out there right now who want to end their life or self-harming and contemplating suicide. God sends me to youth groups to tell you about the time I stood on the Golden Gate Bridge six months before that Church of God experience in Traver, and I stood at the rail of the Golden Gate Bridge asking God to let me end my pain because I was broken and I was hurting. I've been abused since childhood. I was betrayed in relationship in adulthood. I wanted to end my life. I know exactly how you feel, but God rescued me that day. He sent me home, and he brought me to a church, and he filled me with the power of the Holy Spirit that I could tell you no matter how bad it is right now, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If I would have ended my life when I was 21, I couldn't tell you about the baptism power of the Holy Spirit, how it changed my life. But I stand here today, my life together, my marriage together, my children serving God, because I refuse to believe the lie of the enemy. That God used the power of God to rescue me, and he's here today to reach down into the pit and pull you out of that pit of depression and self-loathing that you might find yourself in to heal you from the things that you have done and to heal you from the things that have been done to you. This is the power of the Holy Spirit, and I can't do it without him, and I'm here to tell you, you can't either. Because the greatest, hallelujah. Give the Lord praise. Woo! The greatest thing he gave me wasn't the power over the devil. wasn't power over my enemies. He finally gave me power over myself. For the first time in my life, that fire came in me. And I was able to not do the things I was always doing. Because I had power now. I can now go up respond the way I used to respond. It went from hating people to loving people. It went from resenting things to embracing God's plan for my life. It went from a place where I can't stop doing the things I've been doing half my life to now having power over my own flesh because I have yielded to the Holy Spirit. That's what baptism is. It's being completely submerged. Like when you get water baptized, you're not baptized so you are one 100% in the water. You are surrounded by water. And if you're in my youth group and I baptized you, we had the three bubble rule. Amen. I got to make sure that sins out of you. That first bubble, bloop, hold them. Bloop, hold them. Bloop, all right, I think they're saved now. Praise the Lord, okay? They're like, they're, they're PTSD in over here. It's really, it's true. Amen. But when I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I go from a life where sometimes the, the Spirit will come upon men and women of God. Saul was on a hunting expedition. He's a king in the Old Testament. He was going to kill David. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he danced and he prophesied. See, I don't want God to, I don't want to be God's place of visitation. 
where he'll come in a bind and he'll come in a fix. That when I find myself tied to a chair like Samson, that I have to call for the Holy Spirit to maybe show up and rescue me. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is I go from having him come upon me from times to I am completely submerged in him. I'm surrounded by him. My moving and my being is within him. That when trouble comes, I don't have to cry out loud for the Holy Spirit to come and rescue me because he is already inside of me and he's given me power over the situation. He's given me power over the diagnosis. He's given me power over fear and unsound mind. He's given me power over the enemy. He's even given us power over the gates of hell which shall not prevail against us because God's called us to go from a defensive posture to an offensive posture where we are now going to the gates of hell to set people free because we have the power of God. And if you don't believe that's true, look at Peter. Peter, 52 days after, denied Jesus, denied Jesus, denied Jesus, cut a dude's ear off, went fishing and forgot his clothes, argued about who's the best. 49 days later, he receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit and he stands up and preaches a sermon in the power of love when he used to stab people and yell at people. Now he responds with love and compassion. And 3,000 plus men plus the wife and children were saved that day. That's what the power of God does. It didn't give pow Peter power over the people. It gave Peter power over his own impulses, his own carnality, his own reactions. And he let the Holy Spirit move. I'll tell you what, I don't know what your week was like last week. I need the Holy Spirit every minute of every day. And I didn't have time to go find a prayer closet sometimes. I needed him right there in the smack mill of Walmart, right there in the food aisle, because it got a little crazy. I know you can't believe that happens at Walmart, but I'm telling you, it does in Lexington. It get a little wild over there, but I got the power in me to respond with love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness, because that's what the power of God has given me. And the third thing it's done is we get ready to close. It's given me purpose. The purpose of the church, and we'll only be here a moment. Worship team, be ready right here. You see, I used to think the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was from the things that I could see with my own eyes. I see people shouting. I saw people dancing. I saw people running aisle. I saw Sister Linda Diane with her eyes closed, kick her heels off the stage, run down the stairs, through the back door, over the side, back in the door, up the stage, and she never fell with her eyes closed. And I thought, that, that's the power of the Holy Ghost. But what I learned was, what I thought the Holy Ghost was, that's just reaction to the power of the move of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit was never for us to shout. Shouting is just what we do. Any more than the purpose of a ball game is to cheer. You see, I went to a Giants game the other day. They played the Reds. We lost, and we lost bad. We lost after a two-hour rain delay. So I had to wait out my suffering, okay? And I see the red shirt in the back. We'll talk later, bro, all right? You know what I didn't do that day? I didn't cheer because the purpose of a ball game isn't to cheer. But if the Giants would have hit a home run, I'd have cheered. If they'd have jumped me, I'd have cheered. The purpose of the Holy Spirit isn't to shout. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to do what Jesus said it's for. He said, wait for the promise until you're endued with power and you may be my witnesses in Jerusalem that's Corbin for you in Israel Judea I'm sorry that's Kentucky 
Samaria, that's the wrong side of the tracks. We don't go to in our Sunday best. Even to the ends of the earth, even California. The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is for us to be witnesses of Jesus to a lost and a broken world. To give them good news where it's all bad news. To shine light where there's nothing but darkness. To bring hope where there's hopelessness. Because the reason the Traver Church of God got the shout in long after church service ended on April 1st, 1995, it was because somebody who was dead is now alive. Someone who was lost has been found. They had something to shout about. They didn't have to shout about a sermon. They shout because I was dead. And now I'm alive. They shouted when I got the Holy Ghost because I was empty. And now I'm filled. If you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit so you can just have good church services, we're in trouble. And that fire don't last. But when I take the power of the Holy Spirit and I take it to my dad, take it to my cousin Gary, my best friend who I didn't know would die at 44 but get to talk to him about Jesus two months before he died if I'm using the baptism of the Holy Spirit just to feel good there's no wonder the rest of the world doesn't even know what all the noise is about may we walk in our purpose to go to the lost today and give them the love of Jesus that we be empowered to bring dead people back to life without going to a single mortuary or a single graveside. Because the miracle of God, the miracle of the Holy Spirit, isn't that God makes good people better. It's that God makes dead people alive. And these guys knew it. Unlearned men. It says that when Jesus told them, promise, for the power, for your purpose. It says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew that they ran to Jerusalem rejoicing. They couldn't wait for this to happen. And you can read that when you're a Church of God guy like me and think, oh, they was ready, sister, they was ready for a Holy Ghost service. They'd never seen a Holy Ghost service. They didn't think, oh, we got to get over there. Man, we're going to speak in tongues and we're going to shout and we're going to run the aisle. They was proper Jews. That's chaos to them. You know what got them so excited that day? Jesus told them, I'm going to give you the power to reach this entire world today. That's what they got fired up about. We get fired up about Sunday morning service, and we should because it's good here. But what really gets me out of bed in the morning, what makes me move my family from California to Kentucky is I see a whole generation that doesn't know Jesus and a generation of church kids, half we don't even know who the Holy Spirit is, and I got good news, I know about that. I could say something about that. I got a word about that. You received it this morning to all our kids. This is your promise. It's the power for you to overcome the you and you and the enemy against you, and this is for you to fill your purpose, to reach your schools, to reach your friends, to reach your families. Some of you, you're going to 
reach your parents like I reached my dad. Some parents, you're going to be the one who reach your kids like I got to help reach my kids. This is the purpose of who we are, so would you stand with me? This is what Pentecost is all about, that we would receive the promise that God has for us, that we'd receive the power that he has for us, and that we would fulfill the purpose that he has for us. What we have to do is provide ourselves as the vessel, saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. And there's no formula that I know how to receive it. All I know is I got an altar and I said, God, I'm not leaving until I'm receiving, Lord. I want this. And you said it's mine, Lord. And you're not a man that you should lie. And I prayed and I praised and I worshiped. And I don't know when it happened that night. I don't know what happened that night. But one minute I'm speaking in English. The next minute I don't know what's coming out of me. And you think, well, why would that happen? How's that the proof? Because when I give full control of God, let me tell you, the last thing to surrender to God in me, it's my tongue. See, I can control my actions. I control my face most of the time. But when you give God control of your tongue, the Word of God says it's the wildest member in you. So when we speak in tongues, we are communicating to the world that I'm no longer in control of me. I've given God the will. He's taken control of me, and I am fully His. That is what I want. So if you're here this morning you've not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm here to tell you this is your moment. This is the day everything changes. This is your power hour right here. Or maybe you've received before, but it just feels like it's dried out a little bit. Good night, I felt a little dry coming to church this morning. I'm not going to lie that we sang about them dry bones rising up again, and I got a second juice. I got a refill. I want to encourage you. Come forward to the altar. Say, Lord, refill me. Rekindle the flame, Lord. I don't have the passion I used to have. I'm not as fired up about Sunday morning as I used to be. I'm dreading Monday morning like I shouldn't have to, oh God. Let the Holy Spirit fire burn in me that it may burn in my church. Heavenly Father, my prayer is right here and right now on this Pentecost Sunday, Lord. This is not a Pentecost Sunday message. This is a message of your church every day of the year, but we pick this day in particular as a day of remembrance, Lord, we are Pentecostal. You put us in a Pentecostal room, oh God, because you want to fill us and refill us with the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you will do that for us, Lord, we pledge together that we will not just consume it, oh Lord, but that we would allow it to fuel us, to take the gospel to the lost and the broken, so that when we die, oh Lord, alive when the rapture happens and the trumpet sounds, when I'm caught up in the air, when I look to my right, I see my family and my kids. When I look to my left, I see my neighbors and my co-workers. And I'll have known, Lord, that you called me up because my mission was accomplished. My purpose was fulfilled. The power of the Holy Spirit was made perfect in me. Let that be so for every soul in this room. In Jesus' name, I pray. We're going to do this in two ways. One way, I'm a youth director. I'm a youth pastor at heart. I want to pray with every teenager and middle schooler that's in this room right now. Sixth grade to come up. Kids, I think you're in kids' church. If you're under the age of 21, I want you to come forward. Come on. Don't make me get you. I'll go get you. All right, amen. I want them to come up. And as they're coming, I want anyone else in this room, that God is speaking to you. You've heard of the Holy Spirit. You've not received this baptism. This is your moment. 
This is your hour. This is your chance to respond like they did in Ephesus. I want you to come behind the kids. And for those who just, I just need an old-fashioned refilling. Boy, the old oil cans running dry. Lord, I need some more, Lord. Or I got stuff coming up this week. I maybe you got a biopsy for someone you love. Lord, I need a little extra fire this week. I want to invite you to come. And I'm going to join pastor. We're going to pray for our sons and our daughters to receive and pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That they can be the world changers they're designed to be. Would you join me in praying with them and praying for your own fire filling